Welcome to the Boom Boom Performance Podcast, your resource for science-based training and nutrition, data-driven coaching, and education-focused content. Before we get into this podcast, I just want to say thank you for taking the time to listen and learn with me so that you can apply what you are about to learn, take my strategies, use these tools, and finally have some serious methods to see sustainable success with your physique, your mind, and your life. This podcast was built on the foundation of applied education, and I'm excited for you to be here so you can have that experience with me. Now, without any further ado, let's get on to the show. What is going on, guys? I got a really, really cool episode for you guys today. This is going to be really, really good for all the women Um, I would say over the age of 40 and or coaches working with women over the age of 40. Today we are talking all about menopause. So we are going to talk about the entire process. We're going to talk about physiologically speaking, what is actually going on during menopause, um, defining menopause, defining what to do during menopause, how to avoid stalling out weight loss during menopause. We're going to dive deep into all aspects of stress menopause, hormones, weight loss, everything you need to know to either help your clients get through that time in their life and still see good results or in order to help yourself do that. Um, And this is going to be the first of many episodes to come. Uh, Travis Zipper and I have known each other for a long time just from my relationships with Jason Phillips and the entire crew at the Nutrition Coaching Institute, uh, which I'll link in the show notes. Uh, All of our coaches have been certified through NCI. Uh, A couple of them are getting through his mentorship at the time too. So he's a really, really smart dude. He's deep into the education side of this industry and he has so much information to share. So I'm really, really honored to have him on the show once again because he has been on here once before, uh, probably like two or three years ago. Um, But I'm excited to have him on today and I'm excited to continue having him on to dive into different topics. So one thing I do want to mention to you guys is he created a cheat sheet for you. So if you listen to this podcast and you're like, man, that is a ton of information, I'm going to have to listen to that eight times or get a notepad in order to write all this down. Don't worry about doing that. You don't need a replay. You don't need a notepad. I have the answer for you. And it is a PDF cheat sheet that you can download. Um, All you got to do is click the link in the description of this podcast. It'll take you to a page. You can click download. It's going to send you uh, a, a PDF to your email. Uh, and then you have access to it. And then you have the cheat sheet to use with yourself and with your clients going forward during this time of menopause. And just if you want more information on stress, cortisol, adrenals, thyroid, um, gut health, there's a ton of extra information in there that isn't directly about menopause, but it is tied indirectly into the effects menopause has or in the effects of going through menopause in a worse, better or worse scenario. Um, so make sure you download that. It's, it is, it's, packed with information. I'm super grateful that he created that for you guys. Uh, And if you want more from Travis, make sure you check out Travis Zipper on Instagram. It's literally just Travis Zipper, uh, TravisZipper.com or wellfits.com, fits with a Z. Those are his sites. Those are all linked in the description as well of this podcast. And the last thing I will say is if you have any topics that you want covered, uh, you can do one of two things. You can click the link to join the free private Facebook group. Um, You got to answer a few questions about the podcast and about me uh, in order for exception. So it is an exclusive group. Uh, You can't just jump in if you don't know about the brand, about the podcast, you're not a listener, so on and so forth. So it's a really cool community. And I do that to make sure it kind of keeps that culture within the walls of that Facebook group. Um, But you can go in there and you can comment back when I ask for topics. You can post in there and tag me and ask me about anything you want. I'll answer it there and or record an entire podcast about it. Um, And you can also click the form that is in this description as well. And it says, ask boom, boom, your question here. Um, It's in every single podcast episode. So remember, if you ever have a single question, a brief question, a really in-depth question or you want a full topic broken down like we do today, you can click that, you can fill out that form and you can let me know and we'll make sure that happens. Um, As always, guys, make sure you do me a huge favor. If you love this episode, take a screenshot of this on your phone right now, head over to Instagram, post it on your Instagram story and tag myself at Cody.BoomBoom and tag Travis at TravisZipper, one word. Uh, Both those are in the description as well. And without any further ado, let's talk menopause. Right, Travis. Welcome to the podcast, man. It has been it's been a minute since I've seen your face, but it's also been a minute since you've been on the the podcast. You were one of the first guests, like two years ago, three years ago. I'm not sure. It was my very first podcast ever. It so, was it was a while ago. My brain always been in my brain is uh, uh and I still remember one thing I followed my words for. I still kick myself for it. <laughs> even back not, then. 
now's the chance to redeem yourself. (laughs) But, and I think you're going to do a good job, man. I'm excited about this and I'm excited for the future podcast that we have planned uh, just for everybody listening. Um, Travis, Travis and I have known each other for quite a while now, and he can provide a lot of value from the educational standpoint to all the listeners, to all the clients we work with at Taylor coaching method. Um, and because of that, we want to bring them on the podcast multiple times so we can cover specific topics rather than just touching on a bunch of things briefly. So today we're going to dive specifically into menopause and postmenopausal weight gain, um, why it would be happening, how you can deal with it, who it's happening to so on and so forth, because, we do have quite a bit of clients that come to us that go through at one point or another. Um, and one thing I'll be interested to kind of pick your brain on along the way is how a coach can identify and pick that out because it is a touchy subject where I know I've experienced where I'm pretty sure somebody is going through this, but they're not telling me. And it's an awkward thing to try to tell your client like, Hey, I think you're going through menopause. Um, and we'll kind of dive in that to to an extent too. But why don't you start with uh, what it is like as a whole? What's going on when menopause happens? Okay, I think what needs to really be clearly defined is actually what menopause is. And menopause is actually a one day transition when someone goes from perimenopause to postmenopause. People think I'm going through menopause. That's not how it works. Menopause is actually the day twelve months from the day you had your last cycle, or a female had their last menstrual cycle. And sometimes that 12 months is just this waiting game, knowing of, is it gone? Is it here? Is it not? That's where some things like cycle mapping testing and Dutch uh, Dutch testing can be really awesome to show you if you are producing any hormones during that time, where blood levels are not going to be that accurate because they can fluctuate quite a bit. So in identifying that, that it's just that one day, one day all of a sudden you're, you're in perimenopause and now all of a sudden you're in postmenopause. Um, and... The difficulty becomes it's happening. These perimenopausal years are just occurring at earlier and earlier times in females' lives. And usually it was the five to seven year period menopause. Now it's gone all the way down to a 15 to 20 year period where females are having all these symptoms of perimenopause. And they're, you know, it's a constant like you get the question, like, I can't be going through menopause, can I? Or it's not happening to me. And it's a hard conversation that needs to be had. And you have to look at the symptoms and it's, it's, it's nature, it's environmental toxins, it's stressors. There's more stress on the female body and mind right now, currently, than there's ever been in, in all of our evolution, so to speak. So you got to think when, when things aren't working right, the body starts shutting down and hormones are one of the first things that go. I, I'm, I mean, it's obviously totally different, but this is probably similar to why like the male testosterone is just declining as time goes on as well. And there's younger and younger individuals having low testosterone levels or needing TRT. Um, and it's probably a, a lot of the same things, environment, stress, things like that. Am I right? Correct. Correct. And I always quote the same um, study when they first started testing male testosterone, this is like, I believe 1943. And they were only testing total testosterone. It was actually over 1400 was the average for oh. this population which is above the, the populate, above the high-end range for LabCorp Enquest, which is about 1,100. And that was the average. They, they had no way to t- check free back then. And they did this representative sample across different cities across the country. It was about five to 6,000 people in 2013. And the average was right around 400. So in less than 100 years, it's dropped 1,000 points. And you know, with females as well, one of the People, females think that they're only losing their, their estrogen and progesterone. Testosterone is probably the biggest symptom causer uh, when, they, when that drops as well, because you lose muscle, you lose bone density, uh, you, lack, you lack the motivation to go to the gym or do anything. So testosterone in females is, is a serious problem as well. And even when I worked in um, age management clinics, testosterone was routinely given to women. And that was uh, one of the bigger game changers. And most females just don't even know that unless they entertain the, the idea of it. And pull a pull a female's labs and testosterone is very accurate in blood so you can see that that value you can see a free value and very very rarely is a female's testosterone who's past 40 years old even in close to the the, the middle standard range yeah and and i think the as time goes on these ranges just get lower and lower and lower because the average is lower and lower but that doesn't necessarily mean that's a, a correct average that we should be aiming for um and i think it's funny that you know, as, as men, we almost are afraid of estrogen. Like that's how you were like in the, at least in the bodybuilding space, there's always like, no estrogen blockers. Like it was just bad for you. Yeah. And then with women, it's, it's kind of that way with testosterone, but even on the male side, I believe like we actually need estrogen 
really bad too. Like it's not, we don't have as high of a fluctuation of it, of course, but it's pretty damn important for the male as well, right? Correct. Yeah. You, you show me a guy with low to uh, low estrogen, he will have uh, ED issues. He'll have zero libido. Um, he'll have, you know, premature ejaculation, all these things that, that kind of take you away from being a man uh, that will all come with actually too low of estrogen as well. And it makes sense when you go back to the bodybuilding realm, because bodybuilders were using like huge exogenous amounts of testosterone, which were aromatizing into estrogen. So you needed something to really keep that in check. But for the environment today with all the xenoestrogens, all the chemicals, uh, and you know, the already low testosterone levels in males and females, it's just creating even more of a, an estrogen dominant scenario in, in both, like I said, males and females. Yeah. Okay. So let's, let's kind of dive into the physiology of, of menopause now. And, and uh, I think estrogen is a good kind of transition point because I believe that's one of the primary things that starts, I don't know if going out of whack is the right w- way to explain it, but starts kind of uh, fluctuating or imbalancing. And that is a big cause of menopause. But can you give us this kind of like the science of the, on the hormonal level of what's actually going on when you go through this? Yeah. So basically what you, you see menopause uh, or let's say perimenopause has about two stages. The first stage is uh, a progesterone uh, deficiency. Progesterone actually declines. And when progesterone has declined, there's nothing to keep the balance of estrogen in, in check. So estrogen does naturally fluctuate quite a bit. So when progesterone drops, those fluctuations in estrogen now start causing a lot of the symptoms because there's nothing to balance it out. Usually what happens is uh, this is the time period where females will start to see erratic uh, cycles. They've had a 28, 38 day cycle. Now it'll be 24, now it'll be 35. It will, will still come, but it will be irregular. The second stage is more along the lines of actually um, uh, the cycles, uh, females actually start to skip cycles. So instead of actually having a 28 or maybe a 35 day cycle when they were used to 28, now they'll, they might start to miss cycles or it might go 60 days before they actually get uh, a decent bleed. Now they might get a, a slight breakthrough bleed, but that's uh, usually they didn't ovulate during that period of time. So those are the two phases. And the biggest problem is that you really don't see declining estrogen until maybe a, a year or two before actually menopause takes place. It's that low progesterone that's causing a lot of the problems because there's nothing to balance uh, estrogen on. That's why they call progesterone the, the great balancer, the, the mood balancer. So in that situation, a lot of times this is why or where like a low dose progesterone therapy can really help ease that transition into those menopausal years. Got it. Okay. So what, what is this directly causing? Um, obviously weight loss can be tough during this time, but are there other symptoms? And, and if we can, I'd like to just kind of go through the different symptoms or causes it's having and then break down maybe why it's happening. And then we can go into how we can kind of fix those things. Um, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, sure. So basically estrogen and progesterone are needed as kind of like, think of them as cofactors for thyroid hormone, for metabolism, uh, specifically insulin is needed for progesterone to keep it working. Uh, or let's just say making working as, as efficiently as possible. And estrogen and insulin, they also have an inverse relationship. So what happens as, you know, when females, they get older, there's something called um, estrogen alpha receptor. And that basically plays off of insulin. And it makes, uh, let's just say, it helps a female be a little more sensitized or sensitive to, to actual estrogen. So that, as, as you get older, that receptor just doesn't work as, as well uh, as it did in, in the in the past. And they're also, uh, when those estrogen levels start to fluctuate, estrogen is also directly connected to serotonin. Okay, so serotonin is that, that happy, feel-good uh, transmitter. And when serotonin drops, uh, it's also been connected to cravings. So people will crave more salt and more sugar. So they make poor food choices as well. And the, the last factor that sometimes goes out the window is that a lot of times perimenopausal females around this time they're, they have careers, they have full-blown families, their wives, and a lot of them even are starting to take care of their own like parents. So they have a lot on their plate stress-wise. And I always use the, the analogies of, of they, people or females in this situation, they're just so used to all this stress that they think they're handling it, but their body is not handling it. It's breaking their body down. So talk about that insulin, estrogen, progesterone connection, how, how the the cells and receptors just don't receive it as well as they did in the earlier years. 
uh, neurotransmitter deficiencies like serotonin, and then the stress. Those are some of the biggest reasons as to why uh, symptoms pop up, weight loss resistance is so difficult, and kind of you know the, the topic of this uh, little podcast, weight loss resistance for that age group. Yeah. So, and this is kind of one of those things where it's, it's almost like perceived stress is different than internal or physiological stress, right? Where, uh, and we see this in the CrossFit space a lot too, is people mentally are tough and they can just keep going, but their body is slowly getting more and more and more taxed. And that at a certain point, you just can't do it anymore. And that's when all these symptoms really kind of pull in. And, and I've heard this more in CrossFit than I have from people going through this, but like where it's, it's like, man, everything was going great. I was getting results, getting results, getting results. And then all of a sudden, you know, I started gaining weight. My PR started going away. I started having like being like tired and wired and all these things kind of crept up out of nowhere. Um, but it's really like a snowball effect, right? Correct. And here's the, you'll hear a lot about the, that crash of some of having PRs. It's usually people are riding a cortisol wave. So yeah. they're riding the high of cortisol and cortisol is, uh, it'll, it'll allow you to hit PRs. It'll allow you to uh, lift more weight than normal because it is a stress hormone. It's, it's um, you know, it was designed to help us get away from that tiger back in the caveman days. But when you get to a point, you, your body finally says that we just can't keep producing cortisol for long periods of time. And eventually it'll shut off the signal from the brain saying, okay, we need to actually protect the body. Uh, and that's when people have this crash. And a lot of times there's more factors to that crash than, than it's just stress or overtraining. It's usually lack of sleep, it's toxicity, it's gut problems. They've actually kind of debunked the, the whole idea that stress causes you know, low cortisol output. It's, it's many actually other things. But in the female situation, in this scenario, what are they doing is that you know, they're juggling being a wife, a career, a mother, possibly a caretaker to their, their family members, all the other things that go along with it. And then, you know, they also have to worry about staying in shape and staying attractive. You know, guys can get a little fat and, and overweight and ugly as they get older and as they age, but females, that's not looked at the same way. So that's, that's another stressor that's kind of on their shoulders at all times that, you know, us guys, we, we kind of throw it out the window. We don't have to think about it, but that's always on a female's head. So add in those stressors of just constantly always balancing uh, all that work with high cortisol. And this presents like, you know, one of the aspects of a perfect storm of why perimenopause uh, has become such a dreaded thing when, you know, 30 years ago in certain cultures, there wasn't even a word for it. Like in Okinawa, there was, there was no word for, for menopause. It was just, they just transitioned. All of a sudden, one day they just didn't have a cycle anymore. Um, so it's, it goes to show you how, how much Western society is, is playing a role in hormonal output. Yeah. What, what is the age that this starts happening typically? Obviously, there's always going to be um, outliers, but in general, what, what age are you seeing this happen? Just so people listening can kind of be ready to look a little bit deeper and a little bit harder for symptoms when they kind of approach that age. I'm seeing it all the way from uh, the beginning of 40s, all the way even into late 30s. Uh, now, the actual, if you look at the hard cutoff dates, it's usually about 52 years old is the average for actual menopause, 52 to 55 with a, a two to three year period where that's when the cycles will uh, stretch out or, or females will start missing cycles. That whole 40 to 50 range is where things with their menstrual cycles can become erratic. They can get hot flash symptoms. They can just pretty much have all the, the hormonal symptoms that come along with unbalanced hormone levels. My question would be that that average that they say, is that based off of research from decades ago? Because if so, then obviously, like you're saying, our society is continually getting more stressful to the, to the human body. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I, I, I wouldn't know the, the date ranges that averaged that. That was just a number that sticks in my head from, you know, random talks and things yeah. like that. Yeah, it would make sense if it was that way. It would, it would kind of back up what you're saying with seeing these earlier ages. Um, now, when, when people, should they just be looking for this when they stop? seeing weight loss when they, they start struggling for weight loss or are there other gut issues, stress issues, anything like that. Um, you pointed out a few things that are going on with hormones, but what specific things can the just general population, the average person be really like in tune with and looking for to know that this is happening. And then I'd love to get into how to avoid that. Gotcha. Uh, I think weight loss resistance is going to be one of the biggest and weight loss resistance, meaning that Whatever they were doing the past couple of years, they're, they're maybe dropping their calories a little bit, eating a salad. All of a sudden, those things don't work anymore. 
Okay. And what happens is most females, they'll say, well, I'll exercise more or I'll eat less. And that is kind of just digging them into a bigger hole. And a lot of the times, believe it or not, females in this situation actually need to eat more. They need more carbohydrates because you need insulin to really uh, kick in progesterone and thyroid hormones to, you know, keep the metabolism revved up, so to speak. Uh, hot flash, like vasomotor uh, or vasodilation symptoms. Hot flashes, getting hot um, are another symptom, waking up like night sweats in the middle of the night, uh, depression, moodiness. Uh, a big one also is like memory and cognition. So all of a sudden, like you'll, if ask a, a client or a female client, do you forget things? Do you feel like you, you have this thought one, one minute and then the next minute you kind of lost it? Are you walking into, you know, rooms understanding like not remembering why you walked into that room, even if it's just briefly, are you forgetting your keys places? And the last one would be kind of like just manic and, and moody, like depression, not seeing a, a purpose in life. And this is a big one when I work with clients. And this is a thing that coaches need to understand is that the area of the brain that um, controls memory and emotions, uh, it's very, has a lot of estrogen and progesterone receptors there. So when these levels are fluctuating, now there's less of these signal to the area of the brain. So what it does is it frequently brings up memories, old trauma. And this is the time when I have a, a talk with a lot of female clients where if they've had some things that are, let's say, not let go of in the past, some trauma or are in a relationship, they're possibly not feeling loved. This is something they need to come to grips with and talk it out, or this transition is going to be hard for them. Uh, and sometimes it kind of clicks where people are like, yeah, if I have emotional baggage, this is where it really needs to come to the surface. Otherwise, the symptoms are probably going to be pretty rough. These are obviously all things that coaches should be looking for too, but how do you suggest a coach go about this? Because obviously somebody can be looking for this personally. Um, as a coach, are you just having, are you suggesting the coaches that go through your education course and things like that, just focus on tracking certain biofeedback points to make sure that they're in the loop. And then when they're in the loop, they can have that discussion. So th that's a, a, a deeper rabbit hole. I think it depends on the, the, the experience level of the coach. Now you can't really work with a lot of menopausal clients and understand what's going on with them until you've, you've been in that situation and you've seen what right. kind of works. For an entry-level coach, uh, we can go through a couple things that they can address for weight loss resistance that will affect the whole picture with regards to all of those symptoms. But yes, I think the more advanced of a coach you become, the more you're able to connect with clients and articulate why things are happening and get them to understand, okay, yes, I understand that how you've explained it, that's why my body is doing this. And I understand that these lifestyle habits that I have right now are possibly contributing to it. And that's a, you know, that takes some experience and, you know, being able to be comfortable talking about this topic in general with females. A lot of coaches are not even uh, comfortable talking about hormones and menstrual cycles and libido and sex drive. And I understand it's a, it's a sensitive topic, but you have to be comfortable talking about it and, and come to an open, let's just say, uh, agreement or arrangement where clients are comfortable and it's all about how you actually approach the topic. And if you sound professional and you sound genuine, usually most females are, are open to it. Um, yeah, I think, you know, one of the most overlooked aspects of being a good coach is actually just human connection and being able to properly connect and build trust and then communicate effectively. Um, but I also think there's a big issue with an ego getting in the way where if you don't know the ins and outs of something and a client asks you, you're afraid to say, I don't know, I'm going to refer you to somebody who does, or I'm going to go find out and then tell you. Cause I even remember when I was an intern years ago, people asking me questions and having no idea. And my first reaction is bullshit my way out of this, right? Because I don't want to not seem like I have an expertise, but then I just gave the honest truth. I said, I, I don't know, but let me ask my mentor. Let me ask my boss. Like, I'll get that answer for you tomorrow, you know? And I think that's really important for people because honesty and communication are just so important inside of coaching. Uh, I, I, I totally agree. And there's, there's lots of times where uh, I don't have answers to certain things, especially when it's more uh, specific conditions, right? Just, I've never seen it before. But I think it, one thing with myself is that if you understand how the body works, that will, will go very far with a, trying to understand and figure out your own things in your own head as to why this is happening. Like I'll, I'll use a perfect example. I remember back in the day when I was working in the clinic, I went to 
very, uh, quite a few seminars. And I was, I didn't quite understand how the, the female menstrual cycle worked. I didn't know this hormone went up here, that hormone went down. And there were so many times where I had questions, where I had these great instructors and mentors in front of me. And I never raised my hand and asked a question because I was embarrassed, because this is something I should know. And I just kick myself now. And anyone that I, any of the coaches I ever work with, I'm, I'm big on, there's no stupid question. Okay? You can ask anything because if this is something that's holding you back, this is preventing you from possibly being that healer or, or finding that true answer. Uh, when you know someone who's been there and done it can answer it in two seconds. Just yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and I think one thing for people to remember too is I kind of look at like there's levels of uh, expertise and there's levels of humans inside of this realm we're talking about. You know, there is the literal researchers, and then there's the the interpreters and there's the coach and then there's the person and the coach is much closer to the interpreter and sometimes the coach can be an interpreter because i know how to read research and research reviews and even just general articles in a scientific topic much better than the average person i work with because it's not their job to do it you know what i mean so if you don't know the answer to a question you really should just go look it up because you're going to understand how to figure it out much better than they are and that's part of the reason why they pay you yeah for sure Listen, uh, I've been reading research for, for years now, and there's sometimes I look at studies and I look at words, I'm like, I have no idea what that sentence just said. Yeah. They're like 10 of the biggest words I've ever heard in my life. And you have to like Google each word. I'm like, okay, that's enough. Like, this, <laughs> this one's above my head. I don't think I'm going to be explaining this to any clients or, or using this in, in my own um, write-up, so to speak. Yeah. And you know, and I'll be the first to admit that too. And, and there's even been a couple of times where um, I read something and I think I know what's going on. I like, I interpret it a certain way. And then I send it to, uh, our chief science officer who is a researcher right. and he's like, this is what they're doing, breaking down. This is what it means. And I'm like, completely opposite of what I thought. <laughs> That's not what I was thinking. So, uh, sure. it helps to have the help, but, um, back to the, uh, the topic at hand, um, let's kind of dive through the, uh, fixes, I guess you could say, or the tools we can use to, troubleshoot through this period of time and you have a few written down this cheat sheet that we're going to uh, give people at the end of this um and the first one is 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 figuring out these estrogen fluctuations and imbalances and you have quite a few steps to start working through those um, i'm assuming these are also things that people maybe should do before they get through menopause just to make sure that maybe the blow isn't as hard when they go through it and they don't have as many struggles going through menopause um, but i'll let you kind of distribute that yeah, so the, the first point is controlling the, the fluctuations in estrogen. And when you have fluctuations in estrogen, sometimes there's metabolites that are being created that are a little bit more toxic, that can, that can hit the body a little harder. Uh, understanding that your liver has to process these estrogens out, which are fat soluble, and you know, they have to eventually, you, know, you have to poop them out or, or pee them out, so to speak. So if you can work on balancing estrogen, that is one let's just say one nail in the coffin or that will, will keep that, that coffin closed for preventing hormonal symptoms from coming to play. And these are things that I, let's just say, I always break this down for clients and I, I create this list. And if you guys, you get this cheat sheet, you can see all of them. And they are really things that people should do every day. And someone might look at, oh my gosh, I have 10 things to do, but it's not really difficult if you add a salad in every day or you make it part of your normal routine. Okay, and let's just start off. One of the biggest, alcohol. Okay, alcohol will raise estrogen levels, will cause leaky gut, will um, kill certain bacteria in the gut. There's, there's lots of studies. Now, if you're perfectly healthy and you have an alcohol, you have a drink every night, it's not a big deal. But people who are having hormonal disturbances, they should realistically cut out alcohol, uh, especially the, anything with sugar. Uh, processed sugars is next. Processed sugars create inflammation. You know, I think most coaches understand this concept, but they think, oh, you know, having a little treat or sugar every night uh, is, is going to be okay. It really depends on blood sugar and depends on someone's weight. If they're super overweight, then, you know, I never like to cut anything out. But if someone's eating regular processed sugars or even artificial sweeteners and they're desensitizing their, their taste buds on their mouth, that can be an issue. Uh, sweating regularly is really important. Okay? Getting out toxins. How many, you know, perimenopausal clients, they, they get used to very um, sedentary lifestyles. And not everyone likes to work out, but I think it's really big for at least maybe using a sauna, um, getting your body to actually sweat because you get a lot of toxins out through that way. Um, next one is uh, don't eat out of plastic. Don't microwave in plastic. Okay? There's estrogens in plastic that will actually inflate your own estrogen levels and just cause more of those imbalances. And it's very simple 
transition to just drink out of stainless steel or glass and just make that one investment and get a water filter. You'll save money as well and you won't be you know, polluting plastic to the environment. And you know, the worst one is actually microwaving in, in, in plastic. Like literally I was used the, the mom, a grandma's sauce example. Like remember when you put all the grandma's uh, uh, spot pasta sauce in the Tupperware and then you, you dump it out and you try to scrub it out and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's not coming out. It's stained, it's stained the plastic. When that happens, the acidity in the, the sauce and the heat it melts uh, the plastic or it breaks the bonds. So the sauce melts into the plastic and the plastic melts into the sauce. And that's, you know, people just don't realize that happens every single time mm -hmm. that you microwave anything. So guys get a couple Pyrex containers and microwave and that stuff. Daily sunshine. Uh, this is another one, you know, our, our cells are meant to run on, on sunlight uh, as well as macronutrients and micronutrients. So get some sun every day. We're supposed to be tied to the sun. Most so, so many people just stay indoors all day and they don't let that sun hit their face. Um, next, we're gonna let's we'll get into some, some actual dietary things. Uh, you really wanna aim for about three to four servings of cruciferous vegetables per day. Cruciferous vegetables have something called indole-3-carbinol in them, which is really good for converting uh, those kind of potent uh, estrogen metabolites into safer and more protective forms. And you know, there's so many other good things with cruciferous vegetables that are needed for the liver. So add that in. And honestly, you know, two, three cups of broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, not a big deal, uh, especially if you, you know, you're steaming it. I, uh, at least in the beginning with females, I try to get them to eat nine servings of actual vegetables per day. So wow. those three to four servings actually are included. And basically that entails you just eating a big salad, a good size salad. Uh, so I, of those nine, I aim for three servings of leafy greens, three cruciferous, which we just talked about, and then three rainbow colored. So like peppers, um, potentially root, root vegetables. Just think about it. If you put some greens in a salad, in a smoothie, maybe put some, some blueberries or even some other vegetable, and then you have a salad for lunch and possibly sweet potatoes or you know, yucca or something like that for dinner, you can easily hit that total. It just needs to become a pattern. Yeah, and especially if you make it diverse. I think a lot of people here eat that much vegetables and they just think just broccoli or just green beans or like, I just have to eat nine cups of broccoli. And, and if you, cause looking at my day, if I count the bell peppers, the mushrooms, the spinach, the roasted vegetables at night, my lunch, like easily hit that every day, but it's yeah. not, I'm not eating one vegetable nine times in a day. I'm, I'm right. spreading that out. Right. Yeah. I mean, just think what's, what's the issue. We have insulin resistance. We have uh, hunger. We have, um, uh, body fat set points that we're exceeding. We have so inflammation from the, the insulin. There's so many factors that can be controlled by just eating more vegetables in the day. It's such a simple thing. And you know, the argument versus organic or non-organic, if you, you can't afford it, still eat vegetables. Okay. Just pick the ones, you know, I always tell you the, the ones you can stick your finger through with your thumb. Okay. If you can stick your finger through them, then buy those organic. Okay. And otherwise you know, pick the other ones. Yep. Um, uh, fermented foods are really big as well. Like we just don't get fermented foods as, as a population where every one of our ancestors used to in some form. So and really all you need is a little bit. Like you, I make my own kimchi uh, every day and sauerkraut. It's super simple. You can go on YouTube and watch how to make a month's worth of fermented vegetables for five bucks where you'd pay 60, 70 at the store versus the same amount. And you know, all you need is a couple of tablespoons a day in a salad. In a, in a, you can even make kimchi um, or sauerkraut and take the shots. The juices will, will get you all you need as well. Um, one specific supplement that does really well for estrogen dominance too, it's a pomegranate extract. So you can find that if you have, you know, I always encourage all females, there's so many good things in, in pomegranates. When they're in season, make sure you eat those. You can use the extract. Uh, dim. Uh, diendol 3 methane. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that one. I've never uh, pronounced it right. Yeah. Diendol 3 methanol, something like that. Uh, I just always say dim. That's a really good one at about 100, 200 milligrams. That's another thing um, that really helps with uh, the estrogen metabolism, so to speak, breaking them down. And then lastly, reducing the eating window. So for all you females out there who who are going through this, or you think maybe I am going through perimenopause and you're eating 12, 16 hours a day, Let's try to re reduce it down. That will definitely help with the uh, insulin sensitivity quite a bit. Love it, man. That's perfect. Super applicable. And, and really, it is a lot, but it's also, they're all really easy things. I think the most difficult thing on here for people to do 
is probably eliminate alcohol for most people. Um, yeah, which is probably one of the most important. But it's it's uh, as a whole the 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 lineup, and I always think it's funny with hormonal deficiencies and, and people are looking for these like magic solutions. And a lot of times it's like, before we even get into any advanced supplementation or anything like that, just practice really good, healthy habits. The ones that you know, you probably should be doing anyway, like getting sun, getting enough sleep, eating vegetables, like very simple things. Um, It's just consistency. You know, a lot of people lack that. Uh, So after this uh, estrogen fluctuation, we get into unmanaged stress uh, and cortisol imbalances. So can you kind of explain that and then help us understand how we can avoid that or fix that? Yeah. So if we're going back to talking about stress, remember, we're not talking about like adrenal depletion, like low cortisol levels. We're talking about still kind of riding that cortisol wave of that, that catabolic hormone. Remember, what is cortisol? Its main function is to break tissues down so it can supply glucose. It's called a glucocorticoid. So glucose, corticoid, meaning it comes from the cortex and then you know, steroid at the end. Now, obviously the body can't keep doing that forever, but there's a lot of other negatives that come along with prolonged cortisol. One is that it favors protein, it favors muscle. So if you don't have protein flow around the bloodstream, which you know, doesn't last for very long in that amino acid form, it's gonna go to your muscle because it's super simple to break that down. Breaking down fat actually requires way more energy than breaking down muscle tissue does. And you just remember it's that, that stored glycogen in the muscles is very easy to break down compared to fat. Uh, high cortisol levels is going to increase insulin um, uh, like resistance, so to speak, or it's going to decrease insulin sensitivity, which is really important uh, for actually getting that, those nutrients into the cells. It's going to reduce uh, hormone function like testosterone, estrogen, human growth hormone, which Human growth hormone is really good for keeping collagen and, and, and tendons tight and burning body fat in the same sense. And then it's also going to reduce thyroid hormone. So when there's a lot of stress, a lot of cortisol, it, can, it prevents the conversion of T3, uh, T4 into T3. And it also stops the conversion um, or the signal from the thyroid telling the thyroid to produce thyroid hormone, which is called TSH. So a lot of problems, even thyroid, well, thyroid conditions can actually be caused from stress and high cortisol. And you know, what are most doctors doing? They're just putting people on medications. So there's a good chance that remove the stress, you might not need the thyroid medications as well. And then you know, lastly, it's, it's uh, uh, suppressing immune function, which during this, you know, these crazy times right now, all this stress, you know, we really need our immune systems to be running at as, a, you know, as effective as possible and, and be ramped up and ready to go to fight something off. And that's the difference between someone getting you know, coronavirus, so to speak, and not having a symptom at all, and then other people you know, being um, you know, admitted to the hospital, possibly you know, passing. And going on, I'm, I'm, I'm going through this cheat sheet right now, and uh, the piggy bank premise stuck out to me the first time I read through it. Um, so I'd love for you to kind of explain that. And I think as a whole, we did a full episode on uh, thyroid. So I encourage people listening, if that stood out to you at all, go listen to that because there's a ton of good information in there. Um, and we know how important thyroid is. And, and usually everything's kind of tied together. So I'm not surprised that, to hear you say that. Um, but what is this piggy bank premise and what do we need to know? So I'm really big on using like metaphors and analogies to try to get things to stick in people's head and that are, you know, you can reproduce it your own client and your clients like, man, that makes sense. I get it. Okay. When you break it down that way versus talking about, you know, uh, glucogenesis and, you know, glycogen and all the, the, the big words that don't need to be said, but think of the piggy bank premise. It's like a bank account. You have to deposit stress relieving activities, which are parasympathetic things that kick on that rest and digest stage. You have to continuously deposit into that bank account. So when you do have stress that your body is able to pull from that as a reserve, now, if you're never actually doing anything that's stress relieving, and when you go through a person's day and you really uh, accumulate minutes of what you know, those stress relieving activities are doing, it's very few and far between. And when you add up all the minutes that they have of all of the times that they're stressed or their heart rate's elevated or you can, someone cut them off in traffic or them getting yelled at by their kids or, or whatever, it's actually pretty high. So if you're not you know, actually as a coach, if you're not encouraging clients to make deposits into that piggy bank uh, on a daily basis, then the, the balance towards stress and, and breakdown is going to happen much more quickly, so to speak. Mm, I like that. It, and it is really good to do those kind of things. So people stick and think about it um, 
And I like that analogy, man. That's good. I want to steal that. Um, so we've, we've been going through these problems and we went through um, the estrogen imbalances. We went through unmanaged stress. Yeah. Um, and the next thing on the list is metabolic inflexibility and insulin resistance. So what's going on here? And, and again, what are the solutions to help us fix this? So again, insulin, insulin resistance and estrogen dominance uh, or estrogen fluctuations, they're, they're tied integrally together. So usually if someone's having imbalances in estrogen, they're also having insulin problems. And remember, when you have more body fat, that, that aromatase enzyme, which takes uh, androgens, primarily testosterone, and it actually converts it to estrogen. Okay, through that, so it's like a, you know, one of those protective mechanisms in the body that makes sure things are kept in balance. So the more fat, especially that visceral or midsection um, body fat, the more of that conversion is going to be taking place. So the more of that estrogen dominance is going to happen, especially in these female populations with no progesterone to balance it off, this is going to cause more symptoms. And, you know, what is the, the main goal or what is the main cause of, of insulin resistance? Well, look at us as a population. We eat all day. We snack all day. We eat processed carbs. We drink alcohol. We're stressed out. We do all the things that actually cause uh, blood sugar dysregulation, and that will actually result in insulin resistance. So if you're tying everything in together between stress and cortisol, okay, and then you're tying in everything with estrogen um, and insulin, they all connect to a concept called metabolic flexibility. And metabolic flexibility is the ability of your body to transition from running on glucose, which is primarily coming from carbohydrates, to store body fat. Okay, and there's usually a middle point where it's doing a little bit of glucose and then a little bit of fat. And then when you're fasted after like, you know, an eight hour period of not eating, then your body is saying, okay, we're running primarily on uh, body fat stores. And people, because of the fact we're eating every two hours or eating all day. And, you know, there's some studies that show that most of the American population, they eat uh, 16 hours a day uh, or at least 12 hours a day. And they have on the average 10 to 11 different snacks and meals. And, your body is never really burning a lot of body fat if you're, there's always insulin in the bloodstream. So how can we you know, work with that? How can we uh, manage that with clients? Well, time-restricted eating, intermittent fasting is a great way to start that. And you know, it's not gonna be right for everyone in every situation, but it can be used in almost any situation if it's built in and layered um, wisely. And you know, as I was doing some research for this little, little podcast, I always get people, like coaches that ask me all the time, oh, this person said intermittent fasting is bad. It's bad for females for hormones. And I, I dove into the research and I found nothing, okay, about intermittent fasting or time-restricted feeding or whatever term. And let's make a difference. That's not a five-day fast, okay? That's pretty much like a, a eating for eight hours of the day and fasting for 16 hours of the day. And I found four, four meta, uh, sorry, systematic reviews showing only benefits. And, you know, for these coaches, they sent me a lot of articles of, whoa, this person quoted this study and they started this. And a lot of times these authors, what they're doing is they're pulling um, like sound bits, they're cherry picking things from certain studies. And a lot of these studies, when I looked at them, they were using, they were talking about caloric restriction or they were talking about five day fasts and that had nothing to do with intermittent fasting. So, I think this is a very like, uh, you know, trendy topic right now, but it's one of the fastest and easiest things that you can do to help establish that metabolic flexibility, have your body start to transition to burning body fat. And I do advise it, it, it done, be done slowly. Like if someone is, uh, you know, been eating for 16 hours a day for 20 years and they feel like they get hangry if they don't eat every two hours, go slow. Maybe start with a, a simple, you know, a 12 hour fast. It's called like a simple fast. And if someone feels like they need to eat something, drink some water or have some water with some stevia in it. Um, you know, the, the water will fill up the stomach and that, that kind of initiates the uh, ghrelin response uh, in the stomach saying that, okay, um, we've eaten enough food. And ghrelin is the, um, the hunger hormone. So pretty much shuts it off, so to speak. And, you know, that's, that's an easy, fast way that can be built into anyone's routine that it's free. It's like sunshine or sleep. Like those are my three favorite things. Get more sunshine, get more sleep and don't eat all day. Yeah. And I'm glad you, cause I was going to add to that and say that you should start with 12. And I think fasting sounds harder 
when you just talk about restricting food, but realistically that's 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. So if you yeah. just stop eating at 7 p.m. and then you eat breakfast at 7, you've literally fasted 12 hours. It's actually really easy. So I encourage it all the time because it's going to help with even just gut health and insulin sensitivity and things like that. Um, and obviously, if you want to keep pushing it, keep pushing it. And there's there's been a lot of cool research coming out on chrononutrition and time-restricted feeding with um, actually eating earlier in the day and then starting your fast later in the day. So cutting food out right at or after dinner and then fasting from 5 p.m. until the morning versus the classic where it's like, I'm going to stop eating at 10 p.m. and start eating at 2 p.m. Um, lean gains approach. But um, the one thing I will add to that too is I have, uh, I have talked because I've, I've gotten that same question about like, should women fast? And it, it's always an it depends answer. And what I try to tell people is that I typically don't put somebody on a fast if they have high stress levels. I don't care if they're uh, male or female. Um, and that's primarily just because in my experience, people who have really high stress levels or dysfunctional cortisol haven't benefited from fasting, but it doesn't mean they will never benefit from fasting. Um, another caveat to that is my company and myself have primarily worked with more women and a lot more women typically have higher stress levels than men. It's just how stress is perceived. So if I look at my experience anecdotally, yeah, like I would say less women fast when I coach them, but it's not because of their gender. It, it's because of stress levels. It's because the dominance of our coaching clients are female, so on and so forth. Um, so I, so I agree with you hundred percent. I think people need to look deeper than just taking one answer or just reading one study or even listening to an interpretation from one person from one study. Cause like you said, a lot of people can cherry pick. So really do your research and really dive into things. And, and this is the last thing I'll say on this before we, we get to the final question I have for you, Google it. Like I get this, people ask questions all the time and I'm like, Hey, like, I'm going to give you the answer, but I also think you should Google it because you're going to see Google scholar. You're going to see research says you're going to see all these different blogs that have been written on it. And you should dive deeper into that rather than just having a DM from me on Instagram, like go dive into that and just, just Google it because there's a lot of information out there that you could find. Um, but cool. I, I really like how we went through all this. We, we covered quite a bit, but I think the best way to cap this off is, is like kind of like the million dollar question. Like can people still lose weight while going through this? And if they can, like, what are the like top three to five things that people need to be doing or what should they be worried about? Um, just to leave them with, I guess, some hope because I think a lot of people, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of times people will say, you know, like, oh, I'm going through menopause. I can't, I can't lose weight. And they just, they just won't even try. Um, but I don't know if that should be the answer. So give us your answer and what you think is the reality. <clears throat> well, I think everyone needs to under, first under, take a step back and say, the amount of stress from chemical to emotional to environmental to all the stressors that we have, it's, it's a concept called allostatic load. So just think everything that's weighing on our shoulders, it's tremendously higher than it's ever been. So we need to be more proactive in doing the things that are, that are stress relieving. And, you know, if I could give one thing that, you know, females could do, uh, or just say in each category uh, for estrogen and in insulin, it would be eat vegetables, eat more vegetables, have your plate, be three quarters vegetables, I'm not saying three quarters calories. Okay. I'm three quarters of different types of vegetables. You know, how many people do you, do you find that um, are eating lots of vegetables that are overweight, that have health problems? There's not many. I'm sure there's, there's always the outliers for stress. Use that piggy bank premise, accumulate 30 minutes a day, at least of stress relieving activities. And you need to find your own list of things you like. And I can't just tell someone to go in the corner and deep breathe. Okay, that's, it's a, think about you know, standing on the top of a mountain overlooking the ocean. It doesn't work for everyone. You have to give people actionable steps that they can go out. Like, believe it or not, gargling is something that activates the parasympathetic response. Okay? Forced laughter will, will uh, activate the, para, um, uh, the parasympathetic response and, and reverberate the, the vagus nerve, so to speak, which is the part that kicks on that rest and digest. Uh, little things like uh, listen to biurnal beats, which are like sounds at certain frequencies that, that put you into those alpha and theta waves. There's lots of little things that are out there. And you guys want that, the handout, I put some good, easy examples. Uh, and they're all science-backed. And you can go all go find them and you gotta find what works for you. Like I'm not a very stressed person. I live by the beach, I walk in the water every day. I, I got a pretty good life, but I still engage at least 60 minutes a day of parasympathetic activities because I'm, I'm depositing into that piggy bank for a long-term goal, okay? So 30 minutes at least in the beginning, vegetables, and yes, yeah, start with that simple fast, 
okay? Try to not eat for, you know, try to condense your eating window down to at least 12 hours. Get a little bit more used to it. And if you can work on that stress, that'll help your ability to not rely on, on sugar and glucose and hopefully tap into that fat. And, you know, if you can put together these three areas, if you can work on it, I, I guarantee you, you have a female who goes through menopause, doesn't have an issue, uh, doesn't have symptoms, and also is at a good weight. But like anything in life, you know, if everything was easy, you know, we'd all be walking around in bikinis and speedos all day. But unfortunately, that's not how it works. Yeah. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Love it, man. This is good. Uh, for everybody listening, if you want to dive deeper, if you want to learn more, if you want the cheat sheet, if you guys want to just read this, if you want this in written words for you to, to use as something that you can print off, um, Travis created a whole cheat sheet for the listeners, which is going to be perfect. So you can actually click the link in the description of this podcast in the show notes, um, and you can download the PDF and it's going to break everything down um, for you in really easy to understand terms. So like you said, you're going to have literally the instructions in your hand. So thank you for making that, man. I really appreciate that. And I know the, the audience is going to like that too. Before I, uh, before I sign off, can you give the listeners uh, your website, your Instagram, where they can find you just so they can continue getting content from you? Yep. Yep. Travizipper.com is uh, my content site that just kind of went up recently. And uh, I do have a pretty much an advanced coaching mentorship. It's called WellFits, which is W-E-L-L-F-I-T, Z for uh, zebra. And you can see all the content there, everything that we cover. And then I'm also one lead instructors at Nutritional Coaching Institute, which got me, you know, going in this realm. And we do a lot of entry level uh, courses as well. So you can find me on any of those locations. And I'm really good with getting back to people. If you have a problem, you have a question. Um, I really love helping uh, other people. So reach out and we can go from there. I'll link all that in the show notes. And just so everybody listening knows, every single coach that is on my team has gone through NCI, including myself. Uh, two of my coaches are still going through WellFits. One is almost done. One just started a little bit ago. So um, I'm obviously a firm believer in all the education Travis puts out and can't recommend it enough. So I'll put the links in there in the description for all the coaches listening. You guys should go check that out. So thank you again for your time, man. This has been no awesome. This is fun. Awesome. Before I let you go, I just want to say thanks. I seriously appreciate you spending this last hour or so with me, educating yourself to get better results. It still humbles me to this day that people around the world literally have me in their headphones or their speakers just to learn. It's so empowering and because of that, I have three quick things for you. The first one is a personal favor. Please leave me a five-star rating and review on iTunes. When you do this, not only does it help me learn and get better at making podcasts for you to get better results, but it helps us grow inside of iTunes, which allows us to invest more again to get you better results. The second thing, Head over to boomboomformance.com slash sign dash up or click the link in the show notes to get your free copy of the nutrition hierarchy. This is everything you need to know about nutrition to change your body composition or performance inside of a manual. I take the leading evidence inside of research and all the principles, methods, and tools based on some of the top professionals in the industry, and I put them all in a book so you can learn more about your nutrition and get better results. The third thing, this is a personal invitation to shoot me a DM on Instagram or email me at Cody at boomboomperformance.com. I will help you troubleshoot anything you need. This is literally an invitation to jump in my inbox and ask me anything you want and let me help you. All right, guys, that's all I got for you this time. I appreciate you being here and I'll see you next time.